This week, we're talking about learning from your mistakes, and you're listening to the Landscape Photography Podcast. Greetings, everybody. It's been a little bit. I have been fairly busy. Not so busy that I couldn't record a podcast busy, but I've been fairly busy and it's been a while since our last episode. So I figured I would record an episode kind of talking about some of the lessons that I've learned in my most recent trips, talk about what I've been up to and some of the new interests that I've been exploring and just kind of get caught up, check back in with you guys. How are you doing? Enough about me. How are you doing? So yeah, we, we have some catching up to do. And that's what we're going to do in today's episode. Let's jump into it. So the last episode of the podcast was quite a bit ago. I believe the last one was with Will Patino and that was admittedly a really great episode. So it was a good one to leave you guys on for a little bit. I will admit that I didn't intend on leaving you for quite as long as we did. And for that, I apologize. Since we talked last, I've spent a lot of time on the Oregon coast. I believe I did three, well, I did three workshops on the coast, as well as the out of Oregon conference, which was, there was two of those. So there's five weeks on the coast. And then I also had a trip to Iceland, which was pretty incredible. And each one of these trips, like most trips, they come with their own learning experiences. And it doesn't matter how long you've been doing photography or how many trips you've gone on. There's always something to learn and something new to learn and something new to work on and, and things that you can learn from your mistakes. And trust me, I made a lot of them. First of all, in Nick news, before all of these trips, or actually, I guess, during, during the fall, I switched back to Canon. And if you've ever switched camera systems, you know that it is not a cheap proposition. Luckily, I had a whole lot of Sony gear to sell off, so... That helped a lot, but needless to say, it was expensive, but I've been incredibly happy since making the switch. I'm, I'm shooting with a Canon R5 as my main body. I have an R6 Mark II as my backup slash video body. And then um, my main setup is a 14 to 35 F4, 24 to 105 F4, and then the 100 to 500 uh, zoom lens. And I'm absolutely loving the switch back to Canon. A lot of people ask why Canon, why not Nikon? And honestly, Nikon makes some incredible sensors, but it was just so much easier for me to switch back to Canon since that's where I got my start. And everything was very familiar going back to the R5 body as somebody that shot with a 5D3 and the 5D4, it felt very familiar. Everything was in the menu where I expected it. All the buttons were kind of where I expected it. Only it had all of the benefits, and there are many of them, of the mirrorless bodies. And the autofocus on the R5 is incredible. And that was kind of what got me going down the rabbit hole of wildlife photography, which I've been going down for a little bit now. One of the really cool benefits of the Canon system is how well the EF to RF adapter works. 
that opens up the possibility of some of those old EF lenses that are starting to be a little bit more affordable. One of those is a lens that I purchased, which is the 500 millimeter F4. And this is the original 500 millimeter F4, which was released in 1999. And it's pretty cool to strap that to a brand new camera body and have things like animal IAF and all of those modern functions working on a 24 year old lens. I knew that this was a possibility and it got me really excited to kind of dabble a little bit in wildlife photography. And I've been doing a fair bit of that here lately. And there's some reasons for that. The type of landscape photography that you guys know I'm most interested in are the types of landscape photography that honestly you just can't do every day. I'm really inspired and excited by, you know, extreme weather and big storm systems and rainbows and unicorns and all of the stuff that is special and it's special because it doesn't happen all of the time. That leaves a lot of time where I'm left at home just kind of wondering, well, what am I going to shoot today? And there's a, a lot of nature photographers that they kind of gravitate towards the smaller scenes for that very reason. It's a, it's a subject that you can photograph in a lot of different lighting conditions, and it's not nearly as condition dependent. I've never really been super drawn to those small scenes simply because, you know, as an adrenaline junkie. <laughs> It's hard to get that adrenaline rush from mud cracks and leaves on the ground. But as a sports photographer or, you know, a, a person that has shot a fair bit of sports in the past, I've always really loved trying to keep up with fast action. I love the challenge of sports photography, but I also love the challenge of wildlife photography. Wildlife photography is something that I can do on those days when there isn't going to be crazy light and there's no interesting conditions and there's no storms rolling through the area. It pairs so nicely with landscape photography because the conditions that are, are great for landscape photography are not necessarily great for wildlife photography. And the conditions that are great for wildlife photography are not necessarily the conditions that are great for landscape photography. So they pair really well together. I've been really enjoying photographing you know, raptors in my local area. This winter, I spent some time up in northern Idaho photographing bald eagles. And I've just been really getting a lot of enjoyment out of not only trying to do something that I'm not good at, because admittedly, I am not very good at wildlife photography. It's its, its own discipline. And it's really fun to learn something new and to work on something that you're not great at. But it's also just fun to have a camera in your hand. And as someone that doesn't get to do landscape photography every day, it's nice to have something that potentially I could do every day, especially in my area where we have a lot of agriculture land. We have tons and tons of owls and hawks and harriers. There's quite a bit of birds of prey in my area that I can go out and photograph, and I can do that every day if I wanted to. So I've really been enjoying doing that, having a little bit of success at it, but mostly just enjoying having an excuse to have a camera in my hand. And the cool part of that 24-year-old 500-millimeter F4 is that I was able to get into a really professional telephoto prime for only about $2,000. It was $2,300. 
And that was in pretty good shape. So that, that was the really exciting part is that I was able to own a lens that I'd always wanted to own. But on the Sony system, I'd be looking at $12,000. On the Canon system, I was looking at $2,300. And that was, that was kind of nice. And that's been really fun for me for the past several months. So I mentioned that I went to Iceland. And when I went to Iceland this January, it happened to be during the coldest streak of weather Iceland has experienced in the past 50 years. It's a 50-year cold snap. When I was there, it was I, one night it got down to, I believe it was five below zero. Incredibly cold by Iceland standards. Typically, Iceland is kept temperate by the Gulf Stream that is flowing down through Greenland. And because it's an island nation, it's kept fairly temperate during the wintertime. Typically, their, their typical winter temperatures are somewhere between, if we're talking Fahrenheit, 25 degrees to just uh, just above freezing you know it doesn't get crazy cold typically in iceland but it does feel crazy cold in iceland because you're dealing with very high humidity points so you know it's usually like very humid and very wet air because it's you know an island and it's always super windy or it seems like it's always super windy so when it was negative six Fahrenheit, it was also like 30 and 40 mile an hour winds and really wet air. So it felt so incredibly cold. On the first two nights of my trip to Iceland, I was, I was greeted with the not only clear skies, but the strongest aurora I have ever seen while that far north. The KP levels were probably only four to five but the activity was just so incredibly beautiful and intense. There were magentas in the sky. There was aurora dancing above head, 360 degrees all around me. It was just really incredible. And I had an opportunity to photograph it two nights in a row, which was great because I was jet lagged and I was, <laughs> I was awake anyway. So it worked out really well. I did, however, have some pretty harsh learning curve things happened to me. And, and as a result, they were great learning opportunities. On the second night, I was by Mount Kirkufell, which is a pretty popular, or I should say a very iconic mountain in, in Western Iceland. And the Aurora was just absolutely popping off. It was really, really incredible. I did several time lapses that were pretty good. They turned out okay. And then when the aurora started dancing overhead, I, I really wanted to get that really wide field of view and just show how much aurora was in the, in the sky. So I took my 14 millimeter lens, I went vertically oriented, and then I was shooting panoramas. I was doing these panoramas at about, I believe it was about three second long exposures. And unfortunately, I was not tightening down the pan knob in between each frame. So there was unfortunately a little bit of camera movement in a lot of my frames. So I ended up with these panoramas that would have strange star trails and softness in the mountain. And they just had camera movement in each of the frames. And unfortunately that happened for a lot of my different compositions. I was able to save one panorama by going in and, and using the spot healing brush and literally like cloning out some of those star trails just to try to save it and then masking in some of the background mountain 
simply because it was it was such a memorable moment, honestly, a memorable moment in my life that I I needed to try to, you know, come away with something. But lesson learned, make sure that, especially when you're photographing in the wind and on snow, you need to make sure that your tripod is nice and secure and stable and you're getting nice sharp images even in a panorama situation where you're constantly moving your camera or panning your camera in between frames, it's really easy to get quick and lazy and not slow down enough to make sure that you're shooting from a nice stable platform. It took a whole lot of Photoshop trickery to make that panorama come through even moderately clean. But even then, I'm probably not going to be able to print it because there's still a lot of imperfections I was just not able to get rid of. Lesson learned, I will make sure that I'm shooting from a nice stable platform next time because, yeah, that was not my proudest moment. Another not proud moment that I had from my trip to Iceland was I, while I was shooting that same night, I was kind of bouncing around from composition to composition and I got a little bit overconfident in my focus, meaning that I was not refocusing in between every frame. I was just confident that, oh yeah, I just focused to infinity not too long ago. I'm sure it's still right there. And a lot of times with those older DSLR lenses, I was using a Sigma Art 14 millimeter F1.8 lens, beautiful lens for Astro. Um, they have pretty stiff focus rings, so it's not like they're going to move just at barely touching your camera. A lot of times they stay put. Unfortunately, I was taking that for granted and just assuming that it was, and I was not checking focus in between every frame. And as a result, I shot a bunch, well, I shot probably three compositions that I really liked, had beautiful Aurora, but they're just slightly soft and slightly out of focus because Nick was lazy and Nick was overconfident, and Nick shot a bunch of stuff slightly out of focus. So lesson learned there, once again, don't get overconfident. Sometimes professionals, and I'm using the quotation marks gesture, sometimes professionals have a tendency to get a little bit overconfident, a little bit quick and lazy and do things the quick and dirty way rather than double-checking focus, double-checking the stability of your platform, those little things. And as a result, that overconfidence almost always results in something bad happening or an unusable photo. So learn from my mistakes. Check your focus before taking a photo, otherwise it's pointless. Check your tripod, make sure things are nice and tightly secured and nothing's going to move on that snow and your camera is not getting blown around. And when you're on the Oregon coast, like I was, also check and make sure that your front element is clean of sea spray. One of the things that I'm constantly saying on my Oregon coast workshops is to keep an eye on that front element because you don't realize how much spray and mist you have on that front element until you go back and post-processing, add a little bit of contrast, and then all of those water spots become incredibly visible. In the heat of the moment and you're shooting out in the field, it's really easy to not check some of those simple things that absolutely ruin photos. Of course, I did some of that on the Oregon coast as well. We were able to photograph several big surf events during my waves, uh, winter waves and seascapes workshop. And a lot of them are just junk because I was not cleaning my front element often enough. So learn from my mistakes, folks. There's plenty of them to learn from. And I know that I will be. 
So another little side project that I've been doing is I've created some hats with the help of Phil Munson. I'm selling these hats with all of the profits going towards the National Forest Foundation, which goes out and replants trees out in our national forests that have experienced forest fires or are just deforested. With the help of these hats, we raised a couple thousand dollars in the last couple months. Um, currently sold out of the hats, but I have more coming, and it's just been a really cool project to be able to turn an idea into planting trees, which is really cool. And it's just one of those small ways that makes me feel good on the inside to be able to give back because obviously photography and nature photography is not only important to me, but has been really good to me. I'm really lucky and really fortunate to get to do what I do for a living. And I owe it to the national forests. I owe it to our public lands. I owe it to a lot of things. And it's nice to give back in some small way. I, I still have beanies left. I've, I'm going to be putting up some stickers and I have a whole bunch of hats coming in. You can find all of that stuff over at my website, nickpagephotography.com. More of those hats coming on the way. So yeah, lots of stuff has been going on. Not a lot of podcast recording. But, um, you know, I say this in every episode I record, but hopefully it won't be as long before the next one. And I hope that you guys are well as well. <laughs> and we will see you in the next episode. Take it easy, everybody. <laughs>